Justin from Carpool Shenanigans here. Just want to take a quick second and read off some words from our sponsor. We want to take a second to tell all you listeners who are tired of feeling tired and ready to take their health into their own hands. We have discovered a simple three-step morning supplement system that helps with everything from better sleep, mental clarity, clean and natural all-day energy, good gut and digestive help, and so much more. It is three steps that work together to give your body everything it needs. It fills the nutritional gaps and helps you become the healthiest version of you so you can enjoy your life to the fullest. If you're interested or have questions, feel free to message us at Carpool Shenanigans or contact Heather Wallace or Sarah Luce, that's L-U-C-E. Mention Carpool Shenanigans sent you and you'll receive a special discount on your first order. Now on to the show. I'm Tucker, your host of the Full Spectrum Podcast. The Rona took my ability to do stand-up, but I'm not going to let that take away from my ability to give freezing cold takes, hot takes, and ignorant rants on the internet. So join my guests and I as we tackle issues both good and bad with our own comedic twist. Stream everywhere audio is available at www.fullspectrumpodcast.com. Dot XYZ. This is Carpool Shenanigans with Justin Mitch. A show about two friends telling stories and making history with everything created and recorded in the car during our commute to and from work. So hop in. Put your strap on on. Let's get weird. Hello and welcome to Carpool Shenanigans. I am Justin Wallace. If this is your first time listening, thank you very much. Make sure and listen to some of our previous episodes. Feedback is always welcomed. If you're a regular commuter, Mitch's nude photos were sent out last week and will be in your mailbox within three to five business days. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different um, in terms of story, but I believe it is the reason why we got into podcasting was, you know, to help others. Um, but before we bring our guest in today, I'd like to introduce everyone to my partner. Uh, he has caught lightning in a bottle, not once, but twice. He can hold his breath for hours at a time, has never lost a single competition involving a spork and a pecan pie. Uh, my friend, your ice cream man, Mitch Glasgow. God damn it. That's probably the best one you've ever done. That's the first one I've ever wrote down. That gave me some laughs, and I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. That's what it's all about. I thought we got into podcasting for my nude photos. Yeah. Anywho, okay. so our guest today, um, usually I explain their background, what they've gone through, but I'd prefer it if everyone lists or heard it from him uh richard how's it going man uh well it's uh going as well as it can under the circumstances uh, i want to thank you two guys for having me on your show as i told you before i took the opportunity to listen to some of your other podcasts and uh this is definitely a unique niche that you guys have i like it <laughs> <laughs> like well, right? thank you thank you it's like a it's like a dumpster fire you just gotta watch to see what happens you know <laughs> I, I i like that i like that um so yeah, so t- 
go ahead. Uh, so I was just about to tell you, yeah, go ahead. Tell us about um, your story because I'm excited for our listeners to hear your story and, and uh, all maybe... the trials that you've gone through, exactly. all the hardships. Right. Well, absolutely. Thank you for this opportunity. So I'm going to start this out with um, a year ago, I was released from prison after serving 23 years in prison for my uh, participation in a robbery that turned into a homicide. Uh, I'm not here to say that I'm innocent. I'm not here to say that I was wrongly convicted of anything. Um, but I served a substantial amount of time and I was released based on a court order from my trial court and the state attorney appealed that. And now the higher court has overturned that decision and they want to send me back to prison for another 10 years. And I know on the face of that, it sounds like, well, if you were involved in this and they're saying that, then you should go back to prison. But it gets a little deeper. My story really involves another person, a person who actually committed the crime, a person who confessed to committing the crime, and a person who the victim's family insisted and intended on serving a longer prison sentence than myself. A year before I got out, he was released from prison. So what, what? how does that work out? <laughs> yeah. Well, it was um, a very strange turn of events. Um, back in 2010, the U.S. Supreme Court made a, a landmark decision called Graham versus Florida, and it dealt with the sentencing of juvenile offenders. Well, what that case said is you cannot give a juvenile offender life without parole for a non-homicide offense. In the following years, new cases came out, new precedent came out. And in Florida, they created a statue where juvenile offenders could seek a judicial review and a possible resentencing if they were a minor when they committed the crime. My co-defendant sought this avenue and he was successful. However, during that hearing, the state attorney said, hey, wait, 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 what we're doing is not going to be fair to Midkiff because he wasn't the shooter. He sat in the car. He never went in the house. And the judge went ahead and let him go. When I filed my motion, she brought me back and the state attorney disagreed. He said that I couldn't enforce a stipulation written in my co-defendant's plea agreement because it wasn't written in my plea agreement, even though the stipulation was put in there about me. So that's where I find myself today under the threat of going back to prison for a technicality pretty much. So I think technically, I mean, I really think that if they screwed up, that's their problem. Oh. Like that's not your problem. That's their problem. They shouldn't, if they've already, if you've already did your sentence and they let you out, they've all decided that they let you out. I don't see how it's right to take someone back put them back into prison. It just doesn't make, I don't like what, how they're doing that. That doesn't, that to me, they're not, they're not making much sense. They well, are. You know, so that, that's where I'm at right now. So what I'd like to do is I'd, I'd like to take you guys and your listeners back to where I'm from. Okay. Yeah, definitely. So Let's do my, it. Um, my childhood was one that was structured around a broken home. Uh, my dad died when I was four years old. Um, I, I 
my relatives are all, you know, of different varying designs of substance abuse. I had abusive stepfathers when I was in fourth or fifth grade. My stepfather almost beat me to death uh, to the point they had to pack my neck and back to take me to the hospital because they didn't know what was broke. Um, I got shipped around a lot, stayed with different people, lived up north in Ohio for about two years with my older sister. But when I came back from Florida in seventh grade, I found myself pretty much homeless. And, um, you know, I'm doing what a seventh grade does. I, I'm going to school because I don't, I don't know what else to do. And um, that was my life. So in eighth grade, I, I found myself pretty much quitting school, just hanging out, hanging out with, the, with older kids, hanging out in the wrong crowds, and not really getting in trouble but just picking up all these habits from other people. And one of the habits I ended up picking up was drug use. Started out smoking pot and then hanging out in the 90s in Orlando, big rave scene. So, you know, going to raves, eating ecstasy, doing all this type of stuff. And as a kid, you don't realize what type of profound impact these substances have on your growing mind. And I'm thinking I'm in complete control when in fact I wasn't. So things continued to snowball completely out of control to the day that we committed this crime. So at 19 years old, I find myself in jail for a first degree murder because under law, felony murder, if somebody participates in the felony, everybody's guilty of the murder. Yeah. So that's, that's the position I found myself in. And, and again, I, I own co complete responsibility for my participation in this crime. But when I got to jail, I decided, I said, you know what, I'm going to do something with my life. I'm, I'm going to figure out a way to make something in my life, no matter what happens right here. And, and that's the journey I got on. So when I eventually got to prison, I, um, I didn't know anything. And when you have a long prison sentence, you really can't get into programs because those programs are there structured for people that are down to three years left on their sentence to help them reenter society. So I did what... I thought was best and I started self-teaching myself. Started reading books and getting around other people, taught myself how to read better, how to write better, how, how to count, how to do math, all these different things I didn't know. I started reading all the books that we're supposed to read in school growing up, all the classics, Great Expectations and To Kill a Mockingbird. And these books became my best friend. They became my best ally and they opened up a whole new world to me. In 2003, 2004, I was finally able to get my GED and I decided to um, teach myself how to invest in stocks. So I went to the library, checked out some books and just kept studying and studying and studying. And some, some older guys on the compound, they took notice to me that I wasn't out there doing dumb shit. I wasn't out on the compound being dumb. I went to school, I'd work out and at night I'm in my room studying. So one of the guys, he kind of took me under his wing. He taught me some stuff. And um, you know, I saved up some money. And through a friend, I started doing some investing and was able to make some money. I was now able to be sustainable for myself. Because my thinking is, OK, I've got a long time to do in prison. What am I going to do when I get out? Mm -hmm. So in my little brain, it was like, all right, I'm going to learn how to trade stocks. Um, and, and it's worked out for me. And I still continue to do it today. And um, 2007, I was transferred to an institution called Marion Correctional Institution. 
And when I was, when I got there, I met a man by the name of Ron Baker and he was the senior law clerk in the library. And I took a job in there and he took me under his wing and he taught me how to research. He taught me how to write motions. He taught me how to, to be a leader and do all these things. Well, Ron got out six years ago and he started a company called Prisoner Connections. And that company is geared to help inmates in prison with their legal work through a consortium of attorneys where they can get good work at reasonable prices. So this guy was my mentor who I work for today. As soon as I came out, he gave me a job. But I still had some things that I had to endure and learn while I was in prison. So I'm in the law library, he leaves, I'm now the lead guy in there. And I, I decided like, you know what, we're sitting here in prison, but what can I do to make this an exceptional prison? What can I do to make this an exceptional place where people can learn and get help? So in 2015, I had uh, approached my warden, uh, Kim Chris Sutherland, and I, had a, I asked her if I could do a program called Storytime Dads. And the whole thing with Storytime Dads was I wanted to video record fathers reading children books to their kids. And she approved it. And we got everything donated. It didn't cost the state nothing. It didn't cost the dads nothing. It didn't cost the kids nothing. Everybody in my network, lawyers and people I know, they donated everything so we could do this. And, you know, if you've ever been in prison, everybody's got this bravado face. And I'm watching these tough guys come and sit in a room with me. And I'm watching all that melt away as they read stories to their kids. And it really That's hit home. It, amazing, amazing experience, emotions. Um, that Christmas, I went out to visit and this little girl walked up to me and tugged on my pant leg. And I was like, what's up, sweetie? You okay? She's like, yeah, I just want to thank you for making it so my daddy could read to me. And I was just like, wow, you know, we can make an impact in here if we really want to. But then I got, I got to thinking about it and I said, you know what? I never had anybody read a children's book to me. I bet most of these guys here have never had a guy, had anybody read a children's book to them. So vicariously, they're reliving their childhood through reading this book to their kids. And they're repairing the damage that's been done from them being in prison or, or them doing whatever they were doing when they were out in the streets. So I got to thinking a little further. I'm like, well, if we can start healing the process at home, how much more likely is this man going to be able to re-enter and be a citizen instead of a statistic that comes back to prison? So as we kept working and, and me and some friends, we work and we kick these ideas around. I got the opportunity to be the president of a gavel club, which is an affiliate of Toastmasters. And I got to meet some amazing people from the community that liked what I was doing. We hosted, um, a two-day men's leadership conference where people from the community came in to do seminars. And I got guys who've been in prison 25, 30 years telling me that, bro, I've been to every type of program you can go to. Nothing's been like this. So we got together and we started the SAGE program in about 2016. And SAGE stands for such a great experience. It's a personal development program that I created with another volunteer from the community who sponsored me on it. And that class we teach, it's all personal development. It's all, you have to want to add value to your life. 
So that class is teaching stuff on communication, reflective listening, principles of finance, stock investing, real estate, uh, philosophy, restorative justice, all these types of things to give men the tools they need to succeed while they're in prison so that they can have the tools they need to succeed when they get out of prison. A couple other programs that I had the opportunity to start while I was there was the Career Resource Center, where me and other longtime inmates were working with classification and the men who were six months from going home to find them housing, get them clothing, get them food, get them a job, get their resumes written. And we're doing this all while we're also running a law library. So for 2015, until I came home, I was working seven days a week, pretty much 10 hours a day in prison to try to help the other guys in there. And in the same time, I'm getting able to, I'm, I'm able to help myself. So it was really a, a amazing experience for me. And then this situation comes up and I, I go back to court, the, the judge grants my motion and I come home. So you spend all that time in prison. What do you do when you come home? You know, when I left the streets, I still had a pager. I had to, <laughs> that was, uh, that was actually something I was going to ask you is I know technology since, uh, I think it was probably 94, right? 1994 when you went in, I went in in 96, 96. So, well, 96. Imagine the technology we had back in 96. Yeah. And imagine like falling asleep or going away and coming back out and having to get used to, you know, cell phones the size of your hand. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. Flat screen TVs, you know, stuff yeah. like that. That's how difficult was it to transition to it, almost like a whole it, new world, you know? It, it really was. And I, I tell you, you know, I, I got so overwhelmed with just trying to get the password to work on my laptop and my tablet <laughs> and my phone that I said, you know what, um, I, I, I grabbed my prison MP3 player, put my headphones in it, and walked around the neighborhood I was living for two hours, just trying to take it all in, because it was, it was overwhelming. And then, you know, I took a deep breath, and I went and found a 10-year-old and said, hey, can you teach me how to work this stuff? No problem. And then that, you know, I was like, man, this is great. I got to get taught how to get into my computer by a 10-year-old. But, um, but that, that's the reality insane. of it, you know, so, so I come home and, you know, I didn't just come home and say, oh, I'm home. Okay. Live life. My eighth day out, I started working for Ron Baker as his senior paralegal in prisoner connections. I've been to the Florida parole commission three times to speak on behalf of other men who I knew in prison, not in any legal capacity but as the coordinator of the SAGE program where I got to watch these guys come into classes day in and day out and really making changes in their life. I've been invited, since I've been home, I've been invited to speak on a panel at NYU School of Law and Florida State University School College of Law. And I work as an advisor to both of those schools now on their jailhouse lawyer initiative of how we can interpose leadership principles into their law clerk training manuals. I work with the law students, I work with the professors, I work with the director of the Bernstein Institute on Human Rights. I didn't come home and say, well, I got out of that, it's time to hang out. I came home with a mission to keep doing all that I could do to add value to other people's life. I came home with the, the singular goal to keep being a positive, proactive person 
that I trained myself to be in prison, which not the easiest thing to do in a prison setting. You know, you're surrounded by negativity and, and just, you know, a, a whole bad vibe where everybody has their own agenda. And a lot of people, you know, they can, they can put on who they are for a couple months, but eventually the real you is going to come out. And this is who I really am. So it really um, confounds me to be sitting here right now with the thought of having to go back to prison. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it, 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 can I ask how, how long have you been out of prison? Uh, right over a year. A year. And they want to try to send you back for how long? For a decade. Holy shit. Yeah, that's, um, that's pretty ridiculous. I mean, that really is. I mean, hearing your story, of course, you've done, you've, you've done the wrong, but you paid your time. Mm -hmm. um, I think that they need to understand that you did your time and that you've done good so far. Like, you've done good in your life to, to change all of that. Not just yeah. himself, but others. Uh, others, and that, and that's what I'm. I'm. Why send someone back? Because there is so many prisoners. Prisoners that the, the, they'll get out, and they'll um, they'll get out, and they'll do. You'll go right back to crime, but mm -hmm. you didn't. You got out. You're trying to do better. You're working with all these programs, all these inmates. I mean, it really is a good thing what you're doing, and I, I don't, I don't see the right of them sending you back. I just, I just don't. Well, I, I wish I knew the the whys of everything that they're doing. Um, all I can hope is that through through my shares and out there that they have some mercy for me. You know, my clemency uh, has been pending for the governor's office since 2014. And we're actively asking the governor to, uh, to move my sentence and stop them from sending me back to prison. Mm -hmm. Several Florida state uh, lawmakers have openly signed letters and reached out to the public and, and articles saying that they support me on this and that I shouldn't go back to prison because I'm the type of person and I think it's significant to note that my former warden, who was with the Department of Corrections for 30 years, openly backs me on this. Yeah. And that's something that you don't see. You don't see a, a prison official get behind somebody to um, keep them out of prison. That's really not what they're trained for or, or geared for. Mm -hmm. But, you know, she believes in me. She believes in me and... and believes that I'm a changed man and that I've been doing good. Absolutely. I saw too that there's a petition up, which I'm hope I think I can add the link to the description. Um, hopefully get you as many signatures as we can to help this process. I appreciate that. Yeah, I have a page called Justice Number Four, Richard Midkiff. And I have my Facebook page Richard Midkiff. And I have the petition on both of those, and there's also the articles and other interviews that I've done with the Marshall Project and other agencies that have um, 
been just covering this and trying to get my story out there. Oh, shout out uh, Joe Martinez. That's who sent me your info. Um, yes. Great guy. Really is. Yeah. He's done not only his story, but other stories of just the corruption in the judicial system. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, it's amazing. It's an amazing story. I mean, it really is. I mean, I, I, I really do appreciate, I mean, I not appreciate, but I really, I really like how, how you've, how you've turned everything around. It's such an inspirational story. You know, it really is because I mean, I know I keep going back to that, but it, I mean, it's, it's amazing. It really is like you turned your life around. You, you know, you didn't really know how to read. You were in seventh grade. I mean, you didn't know how to, you didn't know how to read. Right. And then you taught yourself all that in prison. You got out. I understand things were probably really different, <laughs> but um, I couldn't imagine that. I really couldn't. I really couldn't. I couldn't imagine walking into my house and be like, what, what is that on my wall? Like, Oh, it's a TV. Oh, well, I, I just couldn't imagine that. Or it's, 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 it's been an experience. Um, you know, it's, my, my life has been on track in June, on June 19th. I got engaged to an amazing, beautiful woman. And, um, She's in the car you know, with you, isn't she? She is in the car with me. Would you like uh, to see her? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good one, guys. I like that. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, exactly. Said, you knew right. You knew right. I was sitting right here. Well, are you? Nice to meet you. I'm Mariana. Nice, nice to, to meet, meet you, you, too. Nice to meet you, too. <laughs> you seem like you got a great guy there. I do. I do. He is wonderful. He is. He's a really good guy. That's good. Well, hopefully we can get him to, uh, we can get all these petitions. Do you got a lot of petitions, right? I mean, you got a lot of uh, signatures so far? Or? I, I do. Um, today we reached uh, over 5,000 signatures in less than 30 days, I believe. How many do you need? As many as I can get. The way the petition's <laughs> set up, is every time somebody clicks on it, it goes straight to the governor, the attorney general, our uh, state congressman, Marco Rubio, and the House of Representatives. Okay. All right. Well, and, hopefully um, we can add to that number. I mean, because I think we can. Yeah, I'd ask all of our listeners. I'll add that. I'll add it to the description. Share the shit out of it. Share it. Share it. I want to hear a million. Yeah, I want to hear a million, too. Uh, when do you know when the decision is final? Or? I, I really don't. Um, I filed my motion for rehearing, and it's pending in the court right now. And, you know, like, so every day is just another blessing to be out here. Yeah. Uh, my, my legal team is doing everything they can to fight for me and, and make sure that I stay out. Um, Amazing, amazing lawyer. My, my trial attorney is uh, Marco Mera, who gained his notoriety from representing George Zimmerman and just has been just has been there for me since 1996. And, you know, you think about lawyers and you know, they represent somebody and their client goes to prison, they go back to work. But this man has maintained a friendship with me and has just continued to fight night and day for me. And uh, so, you know, I just really want to send a shout out to Marco Mera and the Mera Law Group 
for all that they've been doing to try to help me. And same thing with the sick to all group who has signed on this team and has been working to help ensure that I don't go back to prison. And there, there's a number of other people that I could go on and on about. But, um, you know, I will say this, after being in prison for as long as I was, you know, you, you there's a lack of compassion in there. There's a lack of empathy in there. So your, your, your faith in humanity and people is kind of shook a little bit. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. this situation has really renewed my faith in humanity because so many people have stood up and, and supported me on this. You know, and it's just, um, it's a truly humbling experience. And it, it really gives me some type of, you know, consoling to myself. Because yeah. I don't know... I don't know what else what else I can do, but, you know, plead for mercy and grace and, and just hope that somebody sees this and says, you know what, this guy does not need to go back to prison. Absolutely. Now, uh, are you in the state of California? No, I'm in the state of Florida. Florida. <laughs> close? You're real close. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mark Rubio. I should have known. Well, you uh, you look pretty busy. Um, any final questions? Uh, I've got one. I've been that's been my head. You go right ahead with your question. So, what was the one food that you've been looking forward to this whole time? I've been waiting for it. <laughs> oh yeah, what what did you go and get? Yeah. So, so it was ironic. Um, I was waiting to get out, right? So I had a, a set of clothes with two different people. And everybody was tag teaming, you know, to make sure that somebody was around when I got out. Well, it just so happened that the two people that I had an outfit with were out of town the day I got out. So, um, of course. So I'm like, oh, this is great. So then my boss, Ron, he was out of town. So he called an old friend of mine who we had done time together and said, listen, how would you like to go pick up Richie? He said, it would be my honor. So he went and got me a pair of jeans, some um, some some flip flops, a, a t-shirt, and underwear and socks, and he picked me up. And um, I tell you, this this was just mind blowing to me because we went out, we go to the Wawa gas station. Of fact, and he says to me, he says, "All right, so here's what we're gonna do: we're gonna get out of the car, we're gonna go in the store, you're gonna buy a drink, you're gonna get something to eat." And I'm terrified at this point, you know, I just walked out of the prison gates and I looked at him and he's dead serious. He says, get out of my car now. <laughs> so I got out of the car and I walked in the store and I see this selection of drinks and it just completely overwhelmed me. So um, I grabbed a Dr. Pepper and some type of like cinnamon roll or something and just like fled back to the car. Cause at that point I'm just like, oh my God, this is real. I'm not in prison. And, um, he took he took me to a like a sports bar or something like that, and I'm like I don't know what to get. He goes I'm gonna help you here, and he got me this platter with some sliders, some wings, um, you know, some pizzas, just like all different. And I got this look on my face. He goes, Yeah, it's my brother. He just came back from the war. He goes, well, it is a war in there, bro. Like, All right, he got that. So that was my first gig. Um, but what I looked forward to the most was just a, a 
big juicy steak, a mashed potato with corn. That's that was my um. That's what I was looking forward to. Yeah, I was trying to save that question towards the end because <laughs> I, I was just curious. You know? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, everybody wants to know that. I mean. Yeah. Well, you oh, know, the, cool. the staple the staple to your diet in prison is ramen noodle soups. So uh, the last thing I ever want to see again is ramen noodle soups. Oh, amen. Man. <laughs> amen. Well, man, I appreciate your time and telling your story. We're gonna we're gonna do our best to make sure it's heard. We're gonna do everything we can, and I'll make sure I go I, on. I, and, I appreciate and, it. Yeah, I'll make sure we. I'll make sure we both go on and, and sign this petition, and at least add a couple numbers to you. Telling our fans well, to share. I appreciate, I appreciate the opportunity to um to talk to you guys tonight. Thank you. Uh, no, dude, it's it's completely our pleasure, man. Yes. I, thank you for telling your story. And and I wish you nothing but the best of luck. I I I hope to see you succeed in all of this. It frees up. I think he lost service.